Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. If you haven't yet, take your Bible and turn to 3 John. That's where we are today, the third epistle of the Apostle John. It's a short letter. And here's the key concept today. We must have and be role models for walking in the truth. Have and be role models. So who are your role models? Have you ever looked up to someone over the course of your life and, and said, you know, that that that's what I'd like to be like. Maybe it was a coach, or maybe it was a, a teacher, an upperclassman at your school. I'd like to be like that. I remember in college, I had a New Testament professor, soft-spoken man, but he had such a knowledge of Scripture. When he taught, he brought out truths that, that I just never thought of and never heard of before, and it made me want to be in the Word more as a result of hearing him teach. I wanted to be like that. The first church I ever pastored, there was a member of the elder board who mentored me in organizational thinking, how to create and maintain systems in the church as an organization that highlighted the values that we wanted to put forward and functioned towards the goals that we wanted to attain. He was an executive. He was a brilliant man, but humble, and he showed me I think more than anyone else in those early days of my ministry what a servant leader really looked like. I had a youth minister as a teen that I looked up to. I remember a seminary professor who showed me the, the, the depth of scholarship in the Word of God, and, and, and it was exciting to hear just how he was able to bring truth out of the Word and show me uh, the, the, the necessity of really digging into the Word of God. In different ways, these men have affected me for the good over the course of my life. I wanted to be like them, but there have been those who have done the opposite. There are those whose example I didn't want to follow. Believers, for sure, but still a bad example. The small-minded, the chip-on-the-shoulder kind of person who's all wrapped up in themselves, the selfish and the grasping, those who are constantly wavering, never really able to commit, never willing to just jump in and serve Jesus wholeheartedly. I didn't want to be like that. In this short letter, 3 John, we see three men, three examples, if you will. Uh, two of them are good role models for us, and then there's one that is not so good. It's not written to counter doctrine. He's not writing this on a big, huge theological level, but it's practical. How do you live out the Christian life in relationships? Really, he's writing about a moral failure. 
Now, in our day, when I say moral failure, you immediately think of some sort of sexual sin. The devil's having a heyday with that. But in this situation, it's really not a sexual sin at all, but it's still a moral failure. It is the sin of pride, an arrogance. He, he sandwiches that bad example uh, inside of two good examples. We'll see Gaius, who is commended for his willingness to give hospitality. And then Diotrephes, who's condemned because of his grasping pride. And Demetrius, at the final verses of the letter, who is well spoken of. And I want you to see the key application verse. It is verse 11. Go there. It says this, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Now, you might ask, why do we need a warning like that? I mean, why would we be tempted to imitate evil? And the answer is because it seems that evil works all around us. For a season, evil seems to get its goals. You can be evil and you can get ahead for a while. The pushy, the self-serving, the arrogant, the boastful, they seem to advance, but they do so temporarily. Think back to school. You can remember the mean kids who treated everybody else like you know, they were less than. And for a while, it seemed like they were getting what they wanted, popularity and that kind of thing. But evil doesn't flourish for long. Do not imitate evil. Imitate what is good. For the season of the wicked is short, and it is against the purpose of God. And those who are evil, however, and set up shop as if they are good, they can do real damage. And that's what John is warning us about in this letter. He writes it to a man named Gaius. Let's read about him. The first eight verses, says, it says this, The elder to my dear friend Gaius, who I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some of the brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. Gaius is the recipient of this letter, and we learn in verse 4 that he is the spiritual son of the apostle John. In other words, John was instrumental in bringing Gaius to faith in Christ. Now, it's most likely that John is writing this letter from the city of Ephesus, we know that John lived in Ephesus for a long period of his life, he fled Jerusalem most likely at A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. Tradition tells us that John took Mary, the mother of Jesus, with him when he went to Ephesus. John was commissioned by Jesus to take care of Mary from the cross. If you remember, Jesus speaks to John and he says of Mary, behold your mother. And it's, it's, it's likely that, you know, he, he, he took Mary with him. Tradition uh, tells us that. And if that's the case, if we're seeing that clearly, then most likely Gaius is a member of a church somewhere in western Turkey. And 
he has received the brethren that John has sent him. This was a well-known apostolic practice, to send people uh, to the churches that are springing up in the cities uh, all around. These were small churches, usually house fellowships, and, and the, the visit had a couple of goals in mind. One was to encourage the church, that you're still on the apostles' radar screen. We know about you. And other, other goal was to check it out, to make sure that what they were doing is proper, their teaching is good, and that kind of thing. We see the apostles doing that. We see uh, Paul doing that with Titus, sending him to Corinth. And even though it was bad that Titus uh, encountered problems in Corinth, the good that came out of it was Paul wrote the letters to the church, and now we too can learn from what he says to the church in Corinth. A similar thing is happening here as the brothers are coming to Titus's church and, and uh, representing the apostle, and, excuse me, to Gaius's church. And Gaius has shown hospitality to these men, and that's important because it means they're safe. It means that they are cared for, and it means that they are supported as they come. And that little fact alone establishes a principle that the work of Christ is to be supported by the people of Christ. Sacrificial funds, the sacrifice of hospitality, of time and of effort, we are to be doing this. And when we do this, verse 8, he says, we are working together for the truth. And John says to Gaius, I'm praying for you that you prosper outwardly because I see by your actions that you are prospering inwardly. Your soul is prospering. You're walking in the truth. Verse 4, walking there is an image for the Christian life. It's a step-by-step and a day-by-day journey. And as we step-by-step, day-by-day follow Jesus, we are growing in the truth and progressing in the faith. But in order to walk in the truth, you have to know the truth. And knowing the truth and, and walking in the truth requires effort, and it requires action. The truth doesn't just pop into our minds. It, we must study what is true about God and about salvation. We must realize what is true about our calling and recognize that as we are people of the truth, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes us from the inside out, and we begin to do things different. Knowing and doing the will of God, it will cause us to act differently. And one of the things it will produce is love in action, evidenced here by Gaius in hospitality. Living the Christian life is not all about knowledge. Knowledge is good, but your Christian walk is not a lifelong game of trivia. Your Christian walk is an example of love. Having encountered the love of Christ, now I am different because of it. And Gaius shows us that in the ministry of hospitality. That's the good example. But the starting in verse 9, we see the bad example. Diotrephes. Let's read. I wrote the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does, anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Diotrephes loves to be first. First and foremost in this man's life was the sin of pride. And the sin of pride... A grasping pride led to every other sin that we'll see embedded in this passage. 
Diotrephes was the kind of guy who had perfected the grand entrance, wanted to be noticed. He wanted the friendships with the movers and the shakers around him. And no doubt, as he cultivated those friendships, he was dropping their names in the conversations with the people that he influenced. Maybe you know somebody like that. Seemingly just putting names out there, having nothing to do with the conversation that you're really having, but all of a sudden somebody famous or well-known is mentioned. I was playing golf with so-and-so, and he thought this. Or I was with so-and-such the other night, and this is what he said. You know, like, what does that have to do with anything? But it's a way of puffing the person up, puffing the speaker up. By association, I am more powerful because I can relate to these powerful people. And that's what Diotrephes shows us. He craves power, and he uses that power selfishly to make himself look important. It's all about getting ahead. It's about being first, and it's about being ahead, putting others down. Diotrephes. It reminds me of the story of the two merchants, two rival shopkeepers. Their shops were directly across the street from each other. They could watch who goes in, who comes out, how many customers, and all of this. And they had this tremendous and bitter rivalry. And one night, an angel appeared to one of the shopkeepers. And the angel said, I'm going to grant you one wish. You can have anything you want. However, whatever you wish for, your rival will have double. You wish for wealth, you will get wealth, but your rival will have double. You wish for a long life and health, you will get it, but your rival will have double. So what is your wish? And this shopkeeper, trapped in the bitterness of his heart and just the, the, the sense of hatred he had towards his rival, said this, I wish to be blind in one eye. <laughs> and that's where the spirit of Diotrephes will take you. That's where the heart of rivalry and competition and pride will take you. And Diotrephes has risen to a position of influence in this church, not because he necessarily was gifted as a leader. Certainly, he doesn't have the character to be a leader. However, he's leading because others let him. See, there's, a, there's another failure here. It's not just the pride of Diotrephes. It's the apathy of the church. It's the apathy of the church members who say, well, he really wants it, and I don't want to work that hard. I don't want to do that much. We'll let Diotrephes do it. Let him be first. And, first. and when apathy sets into a congregation, the prideful and the ambitious will set up shop. And once they're in control, it takes a lot of struggle to bring the ministry back into focus. Diotrephes' main sin was prideful ambition, but their sin was apathy. But what he did was he rejected authority. By this time, John was the elder statesman in the church. His authority was clearly to be understood, but Diotrephes doesn't, Diotrephe doesn't want to uh, uh, fake, face that at all. He wants to be the big fish, even if he's in a small pond. He refuses to recognize John's authority. He rejects those who come from John. He doesn't welcome the brothers like Gaius does, and he shows contempt not only for John in so doing, but also in, for the Lord. Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 5, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Why? But simply because that's the work of the Lord. 
and the Lord has delegated that authority. Diotrephes doesn't recognize it. Also, he's divisive in his speech. Verse 10 tells us that he gossips and he speaks maliciously and spreads rumors about the apostle. He doesn't care the damage that that does to the reputation of Jesus, to those who are outside the church and they look in and they don't see love, they see antagonism. Diotrephes doesn't care because he puffs himself up. He makes himself the center of attention. He's able to get away with it because somebody is listening to it. Don't forget, gossip is not a solo sin. It's those who speak and those who listen. So he is tearing the church apart, and he's exerting undue, unbiblical influence. In verse 10, he says, not only does he uh, not want people to receive the brothers who come, he is stopping those who want to do so and putting them out of the church. He's using church discipline to enforce his own pet peeves. There's no place for that. Church discipline is a last resort. Church discipline is at a time where we as a church fellowship must care for the doctrine and lifestyle that we represent to the world, recognizing that all of us are people in progress. There's not a person here today who's perfect. You have not arrived. We are all growing in the faith, and we stumble and we struggle sometimes. So church discipline is reserved for those rare situations when a person's behavior or a person's doctrine is so out of bounds that we just need to separate the ministry from that. But Diotrephes is using it to advance his own agenda. And after explaining that, John says, don't imitate evil. Imitate what's good. And he ends the letter turning back towards a positive example. Verse 12, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. Now, we have no historical evidence of who Demetrius is. That was a common name in the empire, but uh, uh, I think that what you see here is Demetrius is actually the man who brings the letter. They had no postal service in the Roman Empire. It was hand-delivered letters and this kind of thing. And I think John is introducing the person who's bringing the letter and, uh, to, to Gaius here, and he tells us and him that Demetrius is a man of stellar Christian reputation. He is a fine example of a Christ follower. Everyone speaks well of him. And then in verse 12, he says something weird. He says, and he's spoken well of by the truth itself. What does that mean? By the truth itself. What does that mean? I think it means this. I think it means the truth shines through him. Once you meet him, once you come to know him, you're going to see that you don't have to rely on secondhand recommendations of this guy. You're not going to have to do a background check on this guy. His Christian character, the fact that he's encountered Jesus and is growing in his love, it just shines through. The way he lives testifies to the truth of Jesus in his life. The way he acts, the words he says, the manner, the graciousness, and the way that he interacts with others, all of that testifies to Jesus. I love that, that, that image. What a statement. The truth shines through. Three men, two good examples, one negative example. What do they teach us? Well, first of all, they teach us that not every person is equipped for leadership, and not every leader is motivated by the right motives. We must pray for and work for humble leaders, servants who want to bless others and promote Jesus, not themselves. But the principle of verse 11, 
Do not imitate what is evil. Imitate what is good. Stands out. Why is that important? Because we become what we imitate. You turn naturally into the things you choose to imitate. Soon that behavior, that lifestyle, that way of thinking and doing things, it becomes who you are. That's why it's so important, Christian, for you to be disciplined as a disciple of Christ, to follow the Lord and do what is right. Some people say, I'm going to wait until I feel loving to do loving things. I'm going to wait until I feel spiritual to dig into the Word of God. I'm going to wait until I feel a burden of service to to get out there and serve the Lord. Don't wait. Do what is right, and your feelings will follow. That's why it's important, Christian parents, that you model Christian virtues before your children. Because you want to be able to say what the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian church. He said, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. We need to be a Christian role model. We need to be and to have Christian heroes, not expecting that people are perfect. They're not perfect. But knowing that our example makes a difference and people are watching. John says, Gaius, Demetrius, these are good examples. So do you have a relationship in your life, someone that you can learn from? Are you able to say, you know, that's a person, I'd like to be more like them in terms of my walk with Christ. It's possible. Be a hero and get a hero in your journey of faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that we be the good examples we need to be. And we pray, really, that we would notice that people notice how we act. In the church and outside, we need to be love in action. And Lord, we pray that in the areas of life where we are not representing you well, that you would bring conviction for change, that we would be different. Help us, Lord, to be the role models that we need to be because we are looking to you. We're looking to you in love and independence, calling out for mercy and for help. So, Lord, help us to be more like you. And in so doing, we will be a blessing. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. In a moment, we're going to go our separate ways today, but maybe you're here and there is an issue in your life for which you need prayer. I invite you to come down to the table by the organ here. We'll have prayer counselors who will meet with you and you slip forward. But before we do that, we're going to pray the benediction. So let's stand together. And before we pray, let's sing. Let's sing the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You know that one? Let's go. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Lord Jesus, we pray that We are able to do just that. Orient our attention more towards you and less to the world. And help us as we do that to reflect your love and your mercy and your grace to those who are looking on. Help us be love in action, we pray. For we ask it in your name. Amen.
God bless you. Thanks for coming today.